Welcome to What's Korean Cinema, episode 26 on Memories of Murder. And coming up on this episode of your most beloved, or maybe not, Korean cinema podcast, uh, we take it back to 2003 and Bong Joon-ho's critically acclaimed and audience juggernaut, Memories of Murder, based on the true story of Korea's first serial killer. I'm Kenny B, and uh, with me is Hango's celluloids Paul Quinn to keep you company and give you our take on the movie, so say hi, buddy. Hello there. This is uh, not an unwelcome revisit to Memories of Murder. I can state that already. And I have a feeling you'll like the movie to an enough extent anyway. Or, or do you want to keep your view view hidden until we actually... No, 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 I'm, I'm completely <laughs> open. Um, I loved Memories of Murder when I first saw it. And having rewatched it a lot of years down the line, it hit me completely differently. Uh, I'll talk a little bit more as, as we go in, but... I'm hoping that from this podcast, it'll allow people to have a little bit of context that'll let them look at memories of murder in a wholly new way. I was majorly blown away on the recent watch, much more than I was on the first watch. And I loved it on the first watch. So, you know, I'm a fan. Indeed. And I I, I am as well. And uh, let's uh, get into our fandom as uh, quick as we uh, quick as possible. But in the meantime, uh, some quick contact information for those of you who do not know. I did say it a few minutes ago, but I'll say it again. This is What's Korean Cinema on the Podcast on Fire Network, based on a very silly joke, uh, undersigned, did, once upon a time. I'm pointing to myself on an audio podcast, but uh, that's uh, I'll take full responsibility for making a dumb joke, and now I'm uh, I'm making up for it. I'm, I'm not in, like, purgatory or anything. It's like I'm, I'm making up for it, trying to get into a good grace again of the likes of, uh, of, the likes of Paul. Because, uh, that's, uh, You're already there, Ken. Okay, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll continue doing the shows anyway. But uh, regardless, we are on podcastonfire.com. You'll have plenty of choices over there. We do podcasts on Hong Kong cinema, on uh, Japanese cinema, on, in this case, Korean cinema. We do audio commentary, talk about sleazy movies, talk about movies with ninjas in them, and uh, also do bonus episodes every now and again. If you have any questions or feedback, we would love to hear from you. For instance, what do you think of Memories of Murder? Let us know. Podcast on fire at googlemail.com. You can also let us know on the Facebook um, page and Facebook discussion group. And the easiest way to reach us on Facebook is by clicking the button at the top of our website. That will lead you to that very place. Uh, it will also lead you the button next to it that is to our twitter feed as well as to our itunes feed and our stitcher radio feed so subscribe to us on itunes rate us by clicking the star rating and even leave a written comment in terms of what you think of the show this show or any other show on the network and stitcher radio is the place where you can stream the network shows either on their website or via the applications available on the apple app store and google play and I write about the mainly Hong Kong and Taiwanese movies. Sometimes there's a little bit of Korea bleeding into it in terms of uh, co-productions and movies shot in Korea and stuff like that. Uh, martial arts movies often were uh, back in the day. And uh, I review such movies over at SoGoodReviews.com. I also do some basic video reviews on SleazyKVideo.com. And my Twitter handle is at SoGoodReviews. And we talked the uh, last episode of the fact that you had not yet reviewed Aimless Bullet before god's sake this has been reviewed right memories of murder on your website it has but as you'll find out later on i need to rewrite it completely i will i will explain but it's that thing of i reread a review just to remind myself of whether i knew what i was talking about back in the day and i think what i said was valid but it doesn't say anywhere near enough and a certain podcast guy will probably mention um, the synopsis is way too long 
We'll, uh, we'll indeed get to, uh, get to that. And uh, we have a rundown on what's to come, first of all, before we do any plot summary or movie review. And there uh, we are going to, to discuss both facets of the real life story the movie is based on and the production. So uh, here's your quick summary of what's to come. And uh, I will put uh, timestamps in the show post so you can uh, access those and jump to ahead to any section you desire. So first we'll do a quick recap of the real life crime that inspired the movie plus brief production background. That is then followed by a biography and discussion of director Bong John ho And we conclude with a review of Memories of Murder. So let's get into it. And uh, the plot from Paul's review of the film shortened down for time, not because the writing wasn't quality. It was quality, but uh, I shortened it down for time. It was, it was long, I'll give you that. So uh, it, Too long, too long. <laughs> all right. But uh, Memories of Murder uses the true life serial killer story as the basis for its plot uh, with Detective Park Do Man, played by the great Song Kang Ho, and his violent partner, Joe, played by Kim Roy Ha, uh, signed, and they're assigned to a case. Uh, detective Park clearly isn't the sharpest of detectives, but he's fairly convinced that he's surrounded by idiots, which is actually pretty true, yeah. uh, which is Paul's writing, not my commentary, and uh, is sure that his keen sense of spotting villains, in quotation marks, will allow him to find a killer. As he begins to blunder his way through the case with Detective Joe beating up suspects in an attempt to extricate confessions, the town's half-wit Quang Ho, played by Park No Shik, seems to know more about the details of the killings than he should, and Park becomes convinced that he is the killer, even resorting to planting evidence to link him to the case. But when Seo, played by Kim Sang-gyong, a more experienced cop from Seoul, proves that... Uh, the uh, the uh, halfway Kwang Ho couldn't possibly have committed the murders. Resentment between the local cops and the big city detective begins to boil over. That's that's the plot for now. Let's talk background. This is um, we talk with a little bit of cheer in our voices. It's a great movie to talk about, but it's based on a, a rather sad case, actually a, a rather grim case, and it was the true based on the true story of Korea's first serial murder in in their history, dubbed the. Hua Seong serial murders. They took place between 1986 and 1991, and uh, they involved uh, 10 women being murdered, ranging from 14 years of age to 71. Um, they were found gagged, raped, and, uh, and killed uh, over this period in the rural city of uh, Hua Seong. The investigation and the evidence gathered suggested they were after a man in their 20s, and they even gathered blood that pointed to his blood type. But the investigators were not equipped with state-of-the-art equipment to, you know, deepen understanding of the case. That uh, and that could have led to a more definite suspect. Uh, plus, no DNA equipment was brought in until the ninth victim appeared. Um, but it wasn't really brought in. The, the idea of it was brought in because they had to send the DNA test abroad. But no match was uh, generated. Uh, so, despite a two million man days in terms of uh, uh, working on the case uh, they added that up and a huge number of suspects involved in the investigation apparently over 20,000 the case remains unsolved to this day and the uh, statute of limitations in Korea is 15 years so um, three years after the 2003 movie that limit was uh, reached uh, however in 2004 a female college student uh, was found murdered which sparked new interest in the case but this also remains unsolved uh, and even at one point, the South Korea's uni party wanted to amend the law to give prosecutors more time to find the murderer. But ultimately, 2006 came along and the statute of limitation was reached. 
And as for the 2003 movie, uh, director Bong Joon-ho and uh, Shim Sung-bo adapted it from the 1996 stage play by Qu- uh, Kim Kwang-rim. Uh, the movie was a critics and audience favorite. It was the highest attended movie of 2003, beating juggernauts such as Shiri, Friend and Joint Security Area from past years. And it even said the success of Memories of Murder saved one of its production companies, Cider's Pictures, from going under. So... Might as well ask, are they still around? <laughs> they are indeed. Um, my next review will be a film from this year called Insane. And I watched it for the first time a couple of days ago when I knew I was doing this podcast. And, oh, it's a Cytus film. So they're still going, they're still releasing stuff. And more than that, they're releasing stuff that I feel is worthy enough for a review. Excellent, excellent. And also, without rev- revealing your full review, now, what was it you think about this dark tale, partly comedic, but still dark tale, it's a thriller, that struck a chord with audiences? I mean, was it knowledge of the crime being a factor, or was it the stars, or what's your take on that? I think it was a cross between the stars, Song Kang-ho, etc., etc., and the fact that it was Bong Joon-ho, and it was so, so well-received. I mean, he wasn't a big name back then, but... No, it's his only second movie. You know, at the end of the day, this was at the point when you know, Park Chan-wook was coming out with Old Boy and stuff. So there was a buzz around these new directors, and he was a known new director, even though he his previous film had sort of just gone by the wayside. Wonderful though it is, Barking Dogs Never Bite. We'll talk about that later on. I think it was a, a cross between excitement of a new director, stars that were greatly loved, and a story that looked to be exciting especially because it was a true life tale. But but I think I never established this, but do you know if uh, the characters are fictional, but obviously the story's true? Or what's the deal there? The characters are pretty much true. They're based on real people, although Bong Joon-ho took a lot of liberties. Because, you see, he, he does treat them like bumbling cops a little bit, too. As totally. Well, touching and, their, uh, touch upon in the review. And I think that's... that's part of another deal which as as you said we'll touch upon in the review that if you look at the theater play that this was based on um it has the same characters completely one of the actors whose name almost escapes me but i am going to check my things ryu teo if you if you watch the film there is a character who gets arrested after being caught masturbating outside. The ca- the actor who played that character played the killer character in the theatre play, and he also played... Oh, oh the... so they even had they even had that. Well, well, obviously they needed to have the killer characters because they depicted maybe the murder in, a murder or two in the play. Yeah, very much, and, and from, from what I can gather, the the killer in the theatre play was shown to be a, you know, a deviant sexual pervert, etc., etc., and they actually named who they thought it was, um, which, of course, they can't really do because nobody knows. But that actor played a number of those roles and specifically asked Bong Joon-ho if he could star in the movie. So <laughs> We got a role for you, buddy. <laughs> they are, there, there are. There are links. So the characters are based on real people. 
it eventually got uh, the movie that is the highest award at the Korean Oscars, the Grand Bell Awards, so for Best Film, as well as Best Director and Best Actor awarded to Song Kang-ho. And it did the festival circuit where it was further awarded, uh, among other things, uh, the San Sebastian International Film Festival awarded Bong Joon-ho Best Director. So there it is. And let, let's talk about him. Uh, director and screenwriter, nicknamed within the industry Bong Tae-il. He has uh, been known to shape his Korean cinema to be a multi-mood experience, uh, featuring both drama, darkness and black comedy occupying the same frame. But uh, that nickname, uh, one, two, if you can break down where this nickname comes from, what, what it means. It essentially means depth, detail, like even nuance, I guess, and I assume it's just been linked to him because of the phenomenal depth he puts in his films, the phenomenal details he puts in that on a first look might not be completely obvious, but if you strip it away, there is layer upon layer upon detail upon detail. I think it's just a very nice way of saying what his films do. Good that it was a good-natured nickname rather than Mr. Poopy Pants. Well, exactly, exactly. <laughs> with the with the director this good, you can't really, you know, Poopy Pants or not, you can't really mention it. I heard, I heard he's got a wicked sense of humor though uh, from uh, uh, Western actors uh, working with him. So it seems like uh, he's not he's not this uh, serious gloomy type or anything. No, but, it's uh, very much so, and you can tell that from the the really sarcastic humor in his films as well. Mm-hmm, very much so. At any rate, he uh, bon- was born in 1969 and uh, got the filmmaking bug while in uh, middle school. Um, he was certainly surrounded by creativity as his father was a designer and his grandfather was a recognized author. And alongside sociology studies, a young Bong Joon-ho was a member of the film club and deepened his fandom for filmmakers such as Taiwan's Edward Yang and Ho Xiao Shen uh, of uh, Assassin fame uh, just recently. And he went on to complete a two-year program at the Korean Academy of Film Arts, you know, logically working being in the program he was creating and filming while in the program and uh, the he the or rather his graduation films um, memories within the frame and incoherence even got the honor to play at the international film festivals both in vancouver and hong kong uh, also dabbling in cinematography actually when uh, collaborating with um, with fellow class classmates such as uh, jang joan juan which is the director of save the green planet Post-graduation, though, Bong would continue contributing in, ver- in a variety of capacities for other directors, including writing um, the screenplay and uh, being the assistant director, um, being the dis- assistant director on movies such as Park Ki Young's 1997 movie Motel Cactus, and he was one of the four writers credited for the screenplay for Phantom: The Submarine, which I heard probably from you was quite a horrible movie. Awful. Four writers on a movie sometimes isn't the best of signs. Although it does have Lee Min Young in it, who is just wonderful till the day she goes away. She's the only thing worth watching in it. Okay, so uh, that's a uh, that's a movie we won't cover on this show then, uh, or maybe we will just to p- maybe, punish ourselves. Maybe. But anyway, uh, a, a debut from Bong Joon Ho happened, uh, you know, uh, and uh, as uh, Paul alluded to, that was uh, he, he both uh, directed and co-wrote it, uh, and that was the 2000 movie. Barking Dogs Never Bite, which is a wonderful, like, huh, quirky English title. What's that about? Uh, it's about a university lecturer who ad- abducts a neighbor's dog, which sounds like, uh, is it going to be animal torture porn? Well, I think it's a bit more quirky than that. It's very quirky. There is 
suspension of the animal in the air, but no animals were supposedly harmed during it. Um, it's a wonderful, quirky, funny film. It shows Bong Joon-ho's humour, and it's got Bae Do Nai in it, who is just, you know, she's she's incredible. Um, he's worked with her year on, year out. So if you get a chance to check it out, I, as far as I know, it was available on DVD. Um, do check it out. It's a wonderful film. Indeed, that movie gained international momentum through festival play and uh, got awards uh, abroad. But uh, we still turn to Paul to talk a little bit. Um, I mean, you shared your opinion, but how, how was it rep? It's rep then, and what is it like? Like, do people talk about it now? And what was there any box office impact locally for Barking Dogs Never Bite? Really, at the the time, it was just a tiny little film that came and went, as with other films we've seen it was the international recognition gave it a rebirth if you like and the fact that since Bong Joon-ho has become so favored and, and his films have been so sought after that people have deliberately wanted to step back so you know I mean the, the cultural center in London showed Barking Dogs Never Bite a couple of months ago it's been on festival after festival it, it'll just pop up because it's just wonderful but at the time it was just a small film from a first-time director that nobody heard of. So it it didn't have a big impact at its time. It's all been since. But quality out of the gate anyway, in your opinion. Massively, uh, massively. But second on the filmography came the subject of this episode, Memories of Murder, in 2003. And it was adapted from a mentioned uh, stage play and uh, based on actual events and the movie. And director Bong broke big locally and internationally with uh, critics and uh, audiences and awards awards uh, juries and uh, I mean uh, let's think back a little any spontaneous memories of the bus if you were around for it that is um, you know leading up to memories of murder and uh, like uh, any memories of the impact it left on local cinema uh, but, but more importantly did, did it spark similar in style productions or Korean cinema didn't work that way they didn't try to exploit memories of murder it, it kind of it sparked things in terms of the whole mixing of genres in terms of the whole shape of Korean cinema, but it didn't specifically spark, you know, oh, let's do another serial killer film. There were endless serial killer films, um, fictional, uh, whatever, but they came, I think, just because they came. It's just what cinema does, rather than being sparked by memories of murder. The one thing I do remember is that in the wake of its release, as it started to get acclaim internationally, people just didn't stop talking about it. It was constant. Uh, from what I can remember, it it made something like 31 million at the Korean box office, which is just phenomenal considering we're 2003. And just going along with, as you've already mentioned, Park chan Kim Ji-un, all appearing at the same time, this was excitement as Korean cinema hadn't seen for 20 years. I remember... I was around and like had a mild eye on Korean cinema. I probably had uh, tasted the Forbidden Fruit or not Forbidden Fruit, a movie or two I probably watched, right? So, but I do remember it coming out and that, that title sort of Memories of Murder. But what struck me more was the fact that one of the posters has Song Kang Ho and his co star smiling like fools to us, standing there smiling like fools. Hello! It's the fifth hour movie! <laughs> and it, I, I guess it's so deliberately quirky, um, like ha- having a, such a serious subject matter, but th- these guys standing there for a holiday photo, essentially. Yeah, totally. It, and that, it sums it up again. It says, 
what the film does. It just twists expectations, switches genres in a in a way that a lot of filmmakers have tried to do since and have kind of failed. It's a tricky, tricky thing. Like uh, Save the Green Planet did it well. I mean, speaking of classmates of uh, of Bong, so. When it when it hits you, when it hits you well, uh, when it when it's done well, then then there's magic there, and there's audience divide as well because that that kind of multi mood experience. Okay, it worked out in the case of Memories of Murder, but it's not audience gold to be yeah uh, to to be tri- to be tricking them into one movie and then for a while doing another movie too. Yeah. <laughs> you know. But um, he uh, Bong Jadis was subsequently part of a few omnibus projects uh, among others. Uh, he did a short called Influenza that was acted out entirely in front of real CCTV cameras stationed around uh, stationed around Seoul. Seen that at any point? I have most of his little shorts are actually available on compilation DVDs. Subtitled, you know, international release stuff. He's on one of those three extremes setups. Um, he did a film called Tokyo Shaken, which is a number of films based around Tokyo. I can't, re- I can't remember the name of the DVD as a whole, but it was sort of, it was just, I think it might have been just called Tokyo. I think it probably was, and it was just a number of films about Tokyo, and his was about an earthquake and every short he's done has just been wonderful it screams Bong Joon-ho and a lot of them have Song Kang-ho in them as well but very cool and uh, probably the one movie though that is quoted as by the director of because it always happens for for good or uh, for better or worse that would be uh, you know uh, it's going to be a constant I think in terms of uh, reference a movie that Bong Joon-ho did and that would be the monster movie the host he was working with a big budget for it and he gained a buzz uh, going into it I think but also concern because people wondered production wondered maybe how are we going to be able to pull off this concept technically and ultimately they actually turned to a San Francisco based uh, effects company called Orphanage for that aspect of the movie so yeah they weren't quite there yet to deliver that quality uh, in terms of effects if you will but it was received enthusiastically you know at the 2006 uh, Cannes Film Festival and even though critics in Korea weren't all fond of it Bong Joon-ho scored another major hit and at one point the host screened on over a third of the nation's then 1800 screens which yeah it was a juggernaut it seemed like right massively you know we've got the host to thank for a lot of things if you walk up to some Western cinema fan and say, have you seen, you know, whatever Korean film, they'll probably go, no. If you say, have you seen The Host, I'll almost guarantee you they have. So it's it's done a lot for Korean cinema. It is possibly my least favorite Bong Joon-ho film. Yeah, I wasn't very wild about its genre and melodrama mixture. But on the whole, I mean, it's a competent film. It was decent spectacle. It was rather cool in points, but it left my consciousness rather quickly, Paul. Uh, totally throwaway. It's entertainment. That's, that's it. And I mean, entertainment sometimes stick with you. Like, empty spectacles sometimes stick with you. You sometimes go, oh, cool, that's so awesome. But this one didn't really for me. And, uh, you know... The, the question and the answer is sort of obvious, but I'll say it anyway. Like, f- thoughts on whether or not this fervored his cinematic voice, or was it a little bit stalled for this one, and he then subsequently uh, continued to hone it? Or what do you think? I don't think it hurt his career, and I think it made him more known by 
audiences than, than any other of his films have or could have. It was hugely successful in terms of being released abroad, etc., etc. I don't think it helped his career either. And if you saw The Host as your first Bong Joon-ho film, I don't think you'd realize how phenomenal a director he really is. Yeah, I, I think I had memories of murder in the memory bank at that point and it's uh, I, I don't I don't expect directors who do drama to make a special effects movie and infuse it with drama because it's a monster movie but yeah it did attempt some of that it was a you know obviously a little girl that gets um, you know is trapped and uh, by the monster and stuff like that there, there's stuff on the line I remember it being humorous too and then that melodrama was cranked so much that I di- I was quite confused whether or not he meant any of it because I, yeah, at yeah. one point I think they were in the hospital and they just came in screaming ah why why the whole family Song Kang Ho and crew so it was a little bit like a uh, uh, disjointed product but I guess the monster scenes were rather cool and uh, but uh, no I, I've never returned to it I don't really have a, a desire to do so either yeah the same as me really and in, in terms of it in general, the opening scene with the English language guy and the scene in the hospital that you just mentioned were the two least favorite scenes of mine. And sadly, they're the ones that have stuck with me rather than the coolish monster and the little girl who was great. They sort of step away and I'm left with things that make me not want to return to it. Song Kang Ho was probably sufficient, though. He usually is. Yeah, he does. He does what he does. But again, I think it was very throwaway. I agree. Uh, you know, Universal at one point had remake rights. Uh, so, do you know if any status update on this? I know it hasn't. It, it, it isn't on the block now. But uh, do you know if it came and went? Or as far the last I heard was that they had remake rights. And you know the way it is with U.S. companies; they'll have remake rights. They'll sit on them for years, and then suddenly they'll appear or not. You know, if you if you look at how long they had remake rights for Old Boy, and Old Boy only appeared what a year ago, you know, and they've had that since two thousand three. So yeah, it's sort of they grab. It's a grab bag. Grab as much as you can, and we'll see if we do anything. Yeah, later and we'll on. just sort of we'll just sort of sit down with it and and check it out at some point, maybe. So no word whatsoever. I forgot to ask you um, about the short movies. Any particular favorite out of uh, these uh, short movies uh, peppered throughout his um, uh, career? The two that you've actually mentioned, one called Incoherence and one called that Tokyo one, Tokyo Shaking. Mm -hmm. Um, It's so Bong Joon-ho, but it's so not Bong Joon-ho because it's it's very Japanese. Um, It's it's really off-putting to watch. It's you know, I'd say out of them all, get that Tokyo box set and check out. I think I think there's one Taiwanese, one Japanese, and Bong Joon Ho short called Tokyo Shaking. As I say, check it out. Uh, but Bong's next feature film would be Mother, about uh, about a mother who struggles to save her disabled son from a murder charge. So a pattern reemerges here. You know, a a dark tale, seemingly. I haven't seen it. Much acclaim and commercial success. Let's uh, try and break it down here, like a, a dip into monster movie and now back to a murder movie. You know, so 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 how was Mother? And uh, you know, ultimately, what voice of Bong Joon Ho's do you prefer? Like, uh, what voice is more suitable for his development? So, so if you talk about Mother, uh, what do you remember of it? Mother is one of my favorite Bong Joon Ho films. Better than Memories of Mother. I like putting you on the spot. I like it almost as much. 
it, it's an incredible film. Do check it out. It does return to what Bong Joon-ho is best at, in my opinion, which is dark tales with with very, very dark humor mixed in that are utterly unforgettable. It's, a, it's an incredible film, and it's as worthy as Memories of Murder, though it'll never be considered as good. It will always be Mother, which is from Bong Joon-ho, who did Memories of Murder. Great film. Almost equal, my favorite, along with Memories of Murder and indeed Barking Dogs Never Bite. Did he get uh, Song Kang Ho in that one, or he didn't call for a male role of that? Kind? No, it's got um, Wong Bin, who is, you know, poster boy, who plays a retarded, bad use of words, I guess. Mentally challenged, if you will. Mentally challenged youth um, who is accused of murdering a schoolgirl and his mother gets no answer from police, no help from police, and so she decides to go and find who really did the murder herself. Um, and it starts, I can't even remember the actress's name. She's sort of in her 50s. She was a huge drama actress. She was one of these, oh, woe was me actors, you know, wailing, screaming all the time. And she gives such a an understated, desperate mother thing that she's just mind blowing. She she holds this film above everybody else. Right, and uh, I'll I'll certainly seek it out. I just simply haven't. Uh, but uh, like I have an, an, enough interest in uh, Bong Joon Ho's movies. Obviously, uh, maybe not in the next one. Just maybe based on nothing. Really, the, the, uh, the next one we're going to talk of is just something I'll get to it. Possibly, it's going to be out there, and that is 2013 Snowpiercer, which is Bong Joon Ho's part Korean but mostly English language debut. Set on, I don't know if it's a Korean American co-production. So if I stop me, stop myself right there. Do you know if if it's a co co-production thing? It is. It's complete co-production. Um, CJ Entertainment with its branch in the states as well. So it, it's it's half and half. It is Korean American. And it's um, it's set on a futuristic train. Uh, this stars uh, Captain America himself, Chris Evans, uh, Tilda Swindon, Jamie Bell, and Song Kang Ho. The, Seoul Korean actor, or the only one speaking Korean in the movie, anyway. Uh, he, he was hugely well received, but was surrounded by controversy as uh, the Weinstein Company wanted to cut and alter the film for wide release. And this is obviously not the first time they wanted to shape something for an American audience, a mostly an irrational train of thought. Uh, Hong Kong fans know that the Weinsteins are not, um, like, th- their intentions are as businessmen are what they are. Let's just say that. And uh, mostly I think it's irrational. That's being quite nice to them. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> but uh, ultimately it did play uncut, to the best of my knowledge, for a smaller scale release. Uh, and uh, But nonetheless, Snowpiercer scored big with critics. So, so let's dive a little bit in, deeper into that whole release it cut, release it uncut business. Um, so seeing as this was Korean co-produced as well, um, I might as well ask, was it a good merger for you? between East and West, uh, as opposed to a director being brought in to helm a Western production akin to The Last Stand? If if you look at the point where Snowpiercer appeared, it was the around the same time as Park Chanuk did Stoker and Kim Ji-un did The Last Stand with Schwarzenegger. Out of those almost completely English-language films, US films, I guess, that these Korean directors did, Snowpiercer's the only one worth watching. It is a Bong Joon-ho film. I don't see it as a Korean film. I see it as a US film. Um, and that's not just because it's mostly English language. It feels it feels far more Western. 
I enjoy I enjoyed it. I have a bit of a problem with the ending, but that's a personal thing. Do you remember how it did in Korea, seeing as it was so mostly Western tinted? You know, to, to, talking actors alone. It did well. You know, it's again, it's Song Kang Ho. Um, he's whether you consider actor actress power still exists or not. He pulls audiences in. Um, it did well. It got released. It was released internationally in France and Italy. But then when it came to America, we, uh, audiences might not respond to it. And that's the thing I always say. Treat audiences like they're intelligent. Well, they are. But, you know, it's companies like Weinstein that just treat people like morons. And that, from, me, from my point of view, screams out of US cinema anyway. Did that version they wanted to put out ever come out? Or did it ultimately go to play uncut? So I know I know it ultimately got a smaller scale release, and but I don't know if they did any edits because sometimes international edits do exist for Korean movies, but they were prepared not by the Weinstein's. You know, they were prepared maybe in Korea to shorten shorten them a little bit or whatever. There was there was so much argument and fighting, and it will it won't it for months that I checked out the history of each release as it came out. And as far as I know, they were all uncut. The only difference to that is the UK. I'm sure you know the the BBFC, the British Broadcasting Censorship people um, who give films ratings here. All films that are released are given to them. And I got Snowpiercer from them and I got it uncut, which would imply that it went to the BBFC, so it would get a rating and would then be released. And it's never been released in the UK. Oh, really? That's that rather surprised me, actually. I have tried to find out why the BBFC had it and why it has subsequently been released. And there are closed mouths everywhere. So I've because there's nothing like controversial about its content right there's no animals getting slaughtered or like certainly not you know it's a it's a classic hero tale because you'd think you can just slap if you're really desperate you can just slap like from the from from one person who was in the avengers (laughs) you know yeah exactly you know um all i can assume is that they hummed and had so much that they felt the it's time passed and releasing it now would be just a bit pointless. That's, oh, that's rather strange because it seems like it is everywhere. Uh, you know, it seems like the difficult market was the US, uh, but but European markets just give us to it subtitles. Yeah, you know. totally. I mean, I, from what I can remember, Italy got it first and they got it really quickly, and France wasn't far behind. But you know, what three four years down the line, and the UK still doesn't have it. I think I'm. I think I'm the only one person that's got the UK version. Just, but as I say, it was uncut. So I would assume if they'd been releasing it, it would have eventually come out uncut anyway. But probably, probably never will. Let's uh, for fast forward instead. Like, what's up now in the world of Bong Joon Ho? I mean, he's a work. He's a working filmmaker, and I read and I heard he's working on another Korean and English language film with a working title in the form of Okia, starring uh, Paul Dano from There Will Be Blood. And Tilda Swinton again. Yeah, Love and Mercy. Paul Dano played um, God damn, the guy from the Peach Boys. God damn, I'm sorry uh, I forgot uh, my name. I, I watched the movie like a couple of weeks ago. It's, uh, God damn it. Brian Wilson. Famous. There you go. Paul Dano played Brian Wilson and John Cusack played Brian Wilson. They had a double thing going on in that movie. Uh, I rather like Love and Mercy and he was uh, he's in that movie with Daniel Radcliffe that's either just released or um, 
is coming up. Swiss Army Man. So uh, I like Paul Dano. He's an uh, interesting actor. Tilda Swinton, as you said, Swinton. So uh, what do you know so far about Okia? Does anyone know anything? All I know, English language, worries me that it's produced by Brad Pitt. Worries me deep. I just don't trust Americans. Uh, he, he said controversially, I mean, American in the film industry. It's Bong Joon-ho. You, I remember you asked me about it in a message one night, and I said, I'm excited about it, and I am. But I can't help but feel that we're going to be at the host too, but English language. They did shoot at least something in Korea, because uh, Paul Dano spoke on a podcast. He was interviewed by Mark Maron about uh, about it, and he said he just came back from Korea and uh, talked about working with Bong Joon-ho, and uh, he, he uh, you know the movie he singled out? You know what that one was? No. Memories of Murder. Oh, well, there you so, go. So Paul has a good taste, and he said he uh, like he'd met him before socially, and he went out drinking with Bong Joon-ho, and he says he's, he's got the filthiest... Of you of, of uh, humor humor <laughs> humor mind humor style so Bong Joon Ho as he said not this gloomy or terror my movies mean a lot no let's drink and talk about boobs and cocks That's good for him good for him <laughs> I'm ex- I'm excited about it I'll be interested in it but I'm almost a little bit reticent because I don't I don't think it'll be a Bong Joon Ho film I think it'll be I think I think it'll be very competent. I think it'll be very entertaining. I don't think it'll be another Memories of Murder, murder or Mother. Right on. Well, we'll see uh, what details uh, trickle out. As, uh, as, uh, but uh, it has uh, been uh, shooting or concluded uh, shooting, at least we know that. Uh, so it's in, in production or just finished production. But uh, let's move over to the movie review. And as for my short opinion, it's very short this time, exemplary film. Uh, deceptively simple looking. But it's story, acting and character-driven cinema of the highest order. Uh, it's not spectacle. But no wonder I like it. You know, based on that, it's quite like a calm and easy and a lot of talk. But it earns being 130 minutes of mostly talk. So uh, fairly immersive in that way. What do you want to say in short about the Memories of Murder? Memories of Murder, we decided on this first in the two podcasts that we were doing. Partly because it's often been described as, again, the best Korean film of all time. And it, it is up there. Having rewatched it, I had a completely different take on it because, as you've said, it's based on the story of a serial killer. But looking back at it, there are two stories here. This is a story of Korean society, <clears throat> excuse me, in the early 80s around the Gwangi massacre. And I think Bong Jun Ho is saying a great deal about the problems that the massacre at Gwangi a load of students were essentially mowed down and killed mm-hmm. uh, by, by the government. And it says a huge amount about that, even as far as the murders themselves in Memories of Murder go. And we'll talk a little bit about that as we go along. Yeah, yeah, that's certainly nothing that he's talking of openly here. So uh, I'd be curious to hear what you uh, what you extracted uh, from that. But uh, we start in it's a mostly sort of colorless film, really, but it starts uh, idyllic and bright, you know, in this uh, wonderful, wonderfully yellow field. But it's quietly disrupted, not quickly, but quietly disrupted by scary sights of a bound body and. Uh, insects that scatter as soon as uh, Song Kang-ho's uh, flashlight hit them. I think that that's a CG effect, but it's a rather good one of the insect that scatters. I thought that, that was like 
nice usage of a little bit of computer-generated imagery. But even within this scene, there's comedy, right? But it doesn't disrupt. It's going to come dangerously close of, later in the movie of disrupting oh, yeah. this. Like, are you really serious? What kind of movie are you making now? I'll, I'll single out. Uh, I'm sure you can guess what what I know exactly what, what little montage <laughs> later in the movie, uh, but but it, it doesn't disrupt here because um, Song Kang Ho uh, sitting there, you know, asking the kids to get away, get away, get away from here, and there's a kid imitating everything Song Kang Ho says. So it's not a close perimeter kind of CSI style investigation. You know, kids are roaming free here, and uh, they're not like you know walking around a corpse or anything, but. Uh, it is that kind of, it's a small village and probably one of the first, if not the first, emergence of anything like this happening. Here. Totally, yeah. So, uh, so it, it, it paints, a, it paints a picture, of course. Um, it also paints a picture of the monotony of pol- proper police work. Uh, it seems like Song Kang Ho's park is uh, good at it. He's just doing what you need to. You need to file reports. You need to make sure to take uh, pictures of all suspects, uh, making sure they don't blink so uh <laughs> so there are some like dry but real glimpses into um uh into the work here and, and also human touches of comedy because that whole uh almost um it's a fairly long shot between song kang ho circling the footprint and then they focus uh, uh the camera moves over to the field where the body is and there's multiple instances of people falling down that hill <laughs> You know, so there, there are human touches of comedy, well, and it's a chaotic scene. So uh, I like that chaos. It uh, that mixture between serious and comedy worked worked well for me. So what do you think? Does it strike a balance between the scary notion of how these bodies were found in what state they were found versus the human touches of comedy? Very much so. I mean, those early scenes to me feel utterly real. You know, in normal life. No matter how dark a situation is, there's going to be comedy elements. And I love the fact that he is the character of Song Kang Ho repeatedly through the film, almost talking to himself. You know, he sees someone falling down the hill and he goes, oh, look at those bloody idiots, etc., etc. You know, he's taking photographs of a guy with a dodgy eye and he's like, why won't he look at me? Stop looking at the ceiling. It's just <laughs> it, it's it's almost real life the way you would find humor in any situation he sums it up beautifully and i think it undercuts the the darkness that that hits home whenever you see that first dead body and and also you know the key you know what the key is i think for, for me anyway about the finding of the bodies he doesn't linger on them they're there like in a non-gory fashion right because they've been strangled and stuff they haven't been like cut up but seeing the glimpses of them like face down and with their hands bound between their backs. And yeah. these one or two second glimpses, I think that is totally disturbing because it's just so, um, it's so, it's been a degrading experience and he le- he leaves them that way. The one image, I know the image for you is the two smiling on the cover of whatever. That's a, a memorable thing. For me, it's when he first goes down into the little gully at the side of the road and looks in to see the dead body and all you see is a pair of thighs with the date underneath that image to me sums up memories of murder that stuck with me more than anything else and it is that so deeply disturbing that there's just this little box and you know she's dead and uh, it's it's just so dark yeah i i see comparisons in the movie 
to um, a couple of American movies, some mild influences, um, uh, like, like Seven or Zodiac, right? But compared to something like Seven, that really gives us, and it's an excellent film, but it really gives us a horrifying look at situations, you know, through totally. each and every murder. But here, Bong Joon-ho practices the fact that you don't need to be graphic to have a disturbing impact. Uh, I think it's more disturbing that it that it's not in your face, which, again, a lot of horror films, a lot of thriller films of late have just been, oh, look, it's right in your face, and it's so not scary. It's so not disturbing. And it doesn't go boom on the soundtrack either, Bong Joon-ho. It's not like they uncover and then... You know, a big, big five point one boom, as I, as I like, like to say. So that, that's a good. Like, they, are clear glimpses, but they don't need to linger for many seconds at all. Like, that's, you know, uh, that's a tribute to the editing as well. Like, Massively, we're, we're yeah. done with that now. And uh, but, but it's a grind. Obviously, this uh, life. Uh, Park seems like a smart enough cop. You know, he just has to deal with it. Include and uh, when he doesn't, he has this continual he sexual relation relationship with this uh with this uh, prostitute they sort of are in a groove together because she even gives him like flu shots and shit so <laughs> flu shots and picks wax out of his ears so they're, they're really it's it's almost a homely to them like a little bit of sex a little bit of that and uh <laughs> so she she doesn't have a huge part of the narrative but it's one of those like you know there's all there's off duty too Right, so this is what he does off duty, and so it's not a sleaze or a perv or anything. It just that's my prostitute of choice, and I'll I'll pay for her, obviously. And she's nice to me too. That's that's but you see, you can see the humor in that. But I think it's more like Bong Joon Ho just sort of depicting what a day in the life of Park can be. Also, why why the movie succeeds? I think I am a fan of procedurals anyway. I'm sort of weak for the standard sort of Law and Order style movie that you know goes from point a to point b and this sort of has elements of that because you find a victim you try and compile evidence you try and get uh, confessions out of people so it has an aura about that that i i don't know i, I still like that uh, it's um, not only talk uh that's not where my fandom for talking comes from and actors acting but sort of TV style procedurals uh, feeds into this, and I think that's uh, something he executes uh, rather well, actually. I I agree. I think that has a familiarity to it. No matter whether you're a huge fan or not, you know, if if some procedural, decent procedural dramas on the television, you will sit and watch it because there's nothing else on, and you'll enjoy it. So it just sort of it does fit in with that, and it's almost that ranked up to the nth degree because of the extra little beautiful things that he puts in the humor, the you know, the extra darkness, etc. etc. There is a question I think the audience would probably ask themselves if Park is supposed to be a likable guy because he seems to be kind enough to suspects, but isn't above at least colleagues beating the shit out of them. Like I, I didn't dislike the movie or him based on that, but it is sort of the reality. It's a village set cop department and they don't have eyes on them all the time so they can pretty much do what they like even their uh, their superior yes says you can't do it but it doesn't seem like there's a lot of fear in them to string them up and disrobe them and have them you know uh, play with them there's oh so i i didn't think that was 
a problematic characterization that he's not above um, you know he'll 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 kick people but mostly the other guy does uh, do you think that would be a, a hard sell for audiences to in terms of liking song song kang ho's character or any other cop character considering what they do i think somebody that's not aware of that sort of thing will find it a bit jarring at first but when you think of of the way things were in korea back then that was that was a real thing and the fact that bong joon ho showed it so deftly in memories of murder you look at the next 10 years of korean film with cop dramas and they were violent they were stupid it just everybody copied it because they were saying oh yeah but that's the way it was Mm -hmm. yeah jarring but i think it sort of has to be and i think it's nice that even though you may not particularly like him at the beginning you do gradually get to feel for him regardless of you know inspector joe putting a a piece of cloth on his foot so there'll be no marks on the body as he kicks yeah i love that the little slip the little slip on thing that that i have i I think that says a lot about small town korea policemen around the 80s 90s and and yeah yeah it obviously isn't uh, uncommon for uh for the genre globally or anything that uh, there's a good cop bad cop kind of thing here because and i think a lot can be said for bong joon ho for making a lot of that rather humorous and making it so that you accept it and in a way find it funny even though it is a bit unsettling yeah yeah because one of my favorite images uh outside of the poster from within the movie now is um in the middle of the interrogation with uh, the kwang ho character the half wit they sit down and have noodles and watch TV together. And they sort of, they mime the dialogue or the the theme song of a TV. So they all sit there like looking fairly stupid together. And then they resume the interrogation after they're done because we gotta eat now. So come eat, come eat. That's fine, that's fine. That characterization of the half-wit character by Park no Shik is is possibly my favorite character in the whole thing i love him i think he's great yeah and just him sitting with the two of them in front of that cop drama with his eyes wide just going you know oh i watched this at home with my dad and then he turns around and said oh my dad's arrived and a girl comes down the stairs i mean it's just beautiful and and also there's a slight disturbing undercurrent because they know they can't play with him right they, totally, they, totally. Because he he doesn't perceive uh, the reality of what goes on uh, and what they're trying to sort of manipulate and, and you know the the plot also suggested that they are trying to put it all on him because it seems like he knows that much and and it, it, the whole movie has that undercurrent of just get it done yeah. you know, we gotta get it done and it's one of the sad undercurrents of the movie too that uh, they're willing to go to those lengths to um... any lengths yeah down to plant to planting evidence down to just saying don't talk about it we find the killer let's deal with it as it is i mean ugh. and even i mean we we, we should have um, we should have maybe stated this but seeing as it is a real life story you know the killer wasn't caught there will be spoilers right because i want to talk of the of the ending scene once we get to it but uh my point of saying that is the fact that the character of uh co or sue in my subtitles the soul cop that comes in here you know, he seems to be, well, I'm a proper policeman, and for a while he is a proper policeman, but he's going to be affected by all of this too, as the the fact that they're not getting anywhere. That's a sad sort of undercurrent of the movie, I think. I, I do love the fact that as you watch the film progress, his character and Park's character 
go from being polar opposites to almost exactly the same. I think think that says a lot, and it's it's again beautifully done. But I, I love their first scene together because <laughs> they when uh, Song Kang Ho's character he um he sees him by the side of the road trying to help a woman, and Park assumes that there's a rape going on, so he does that like jump leap kick down the hill and kicks him in the chest and I, like his his newly arrived partner he finds out and then they cut to a wonderful dialogue where <laughs> like my like uh, my my mistake but how could a detective fight so bad uh, Park says, like- and he he reverts with uh, sue's character well how can a dick have such a bad eye for criminals <laughs> burn <laughs> <laughs> so they don't get off to a good start, which is the classic cop uh, template. Yeah, one thing I single out, and I wonder if you did as well, is the fact that Bong Joon-ho doesn't use exposition really in this movie. Because no one stops here to uh, show a news report. Women have been killed. There's a lot of just, we get we follow along with the cops. They don't stop and say, oh my god, the fourth victim. Yeah. This is the fourth victim. This is serious, guys. And I know exposition isn't that daft, but I'm, I'm, I'm being a bit cheeky. But Sometimes it is. Sometimes it is that daft. There, there isn't a sense of that, uh, of uh, him hel- helping us, but we follow along anyway. I think that's one of Bong Joon-ho's major points, that he doesn't give exposition unnecessarily. He just, he'll state things within its film, and it's up to you to pull them out and we talked about him being called bong tail meaning sort of detail and depth and i think that in itself sums up what memories of murder has going for it there i'm going to do it now and get it over with the first time i watched memories of murder i saw it as the story of korea's first serial killer i thought it was a phenomenal film enjoyed it etc cetera, etc cetera. when i rewatched it i constantly noticed that again without exposition Bong Joon-ho consistently references riots that are going on in Korea. At one point, there's a riot going on when they're trying to stop the killer from doing another murder and they can't spare policemen. Mm -hmm. It occurred to me as I rewatched it how much Bong Joon-ho's talking about the Gwangju massacre. In the early 80s, a load of students who were protesting again, for their own rights, etc., etc., were mowed down by the government and it caused huge furores, you know, etc., etc., and formed the basis of Korean films for years to come. Bong Joon-ho in passing references it, but when you look at the actual murders themselves, all the victims are dressed in red. The students of the Gwangju massacre were all dressed in red. They find a ballpoint pen and a spoon inside the vagina of one of the victims. The victims of the Gwangju massacre had all been provided with pens and spoons as part of their student life. That sent a shiver up my spine that Bong Joon-ho saying, this is two stories. This is the story of a serial killer, but this is also the story of the fallout of the Gwangju massacre. Well, well, I, that's it. Can't be through and through coincidences. Indeed, I think uh, you're very right. It, it had a huge impact on me because of my obsession with it all. And it it doesn't matter whether you notice it or not. It's a phenomenal film. But I think Bong Joon Ho is saying a great deal more than you would initially think he said, and that goes back to the depth and detail of what his narratives have. 
seems like yeah indeed like if they didn't know have that name for him before i mean maybe it started with this movie Who knows? it may it may well have done but uh, I, I love, by the way, how he stages dialogue because it is not a fairly like it's not this widescreen movie with like camera trickery up the ass and stuff like that. No, it's a very straightly shot movie. That's why I see say it seems deceptively simple, right? Mm. Because and and I love scenes where there's overlapping dialogue, right? But there's no uh, actors are talking all at once. Some pass through the scene, but it seems so natural. It's almost documentary in style. Yeah. But but there's no stale lineup of actors type of scenes like the police station where some of this happens. It's alive and it's just a natural capture of all this. And but but it also like the nuanced and clever dialogue gets through. Like uh, you uh, you he moves the story forward, but he's not stating these uh, you know Aaron Sorkin style walking talks a la the West Wing, which is yeah, yeah. mesmerizing in itself. I love the West Wing, but also it's show offy, right? Very much so, yeah. You, you know, it it is. It is wonderful to watch, but it's sort of like, hey, look what we can do. But Bong Joon Ho is more making. He's uh, just sort of uh, doing a snapshot of things here, and uh, I'm sure he was Mr. Detail in terms of you. It's supposed to be choreographed, right? It's not supposed to be all improvised. I'm sure in some scenes he was Mr. Detail that the overlapping dialogue must feel natural, even if a character just passes through and says like, "Ah, oh, hurry up! Oh, we'll be right there." Uh, like there's a scene of a stairs at one point where they take a photo for the picture because they think they got the uh, killer at that point and and if you watch that scene you can see a lot of uh, you know just uh, sort of fragments of dialogue yeah, and here a lot of fragments of dialogue so. and I think again that goes back to that that's Bong Joon-ho that's what he does it's all so utterly natural even though you know it probably can't be it just feels it feels real Going back to the partnership here, the classic uh, partners not getting along, uh, but uh, you know he, he, the new cop coming in there, uh, coming in, uh, you know he seems reasonable and he has actual ability to dig deeper. But so it's that classical thing of he is open to things that Song Kang Ho just ah <laughs> oh, total bullshit. Like the the thing with the song being requested on the radio, and Song Kang Ho is not like that's silly. Like who would do that? But hey, I got another idea. Because it's gone so far, and this is the humorous part where Bong Joon Ho is so close to tripping himself up. Because I'm gonna ask you a question in a bit here, but what happens here is uh, they they've done this for so long. It seems like they're st- st- stretching. Like, what if essentially <laughs> we we thought of hundred things? Do you have a one hundred one first thing? You know, they don't say that, but Song Kang Ho's character, well. Maybe he's. We never found hair, right? So it's like this kid trying to lie his way out of a situation, essentially. But he has an actual theory. So what if he's bald, but also bald down there that he has no pubes, right? Like, and it's all in the middle of this actual valid theory of the song being requested on a rainy night on the radio, and the murders take place on a rainy night at the same time the song is played. But he's sort of busy in his own, like, what if he's bald and has no pubes, right? And it leads to this montage of Song Kang. Well, it's not not a montage. It's a quick cut to Song Kang Ho in the bathhouse, checking out men and checking out men in the toilet. I mean, it's sort of funny. Uh, thank God the, he didn't portray Park as even more stupid than this. Because this this is Bong Joon-ho verging on portraying Park as too stupid. Or what do you think, Paul? I mean, it's funny, yeah, but 
Really? Do, 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 do you think it's true to the character that he's this sort of adopt? I think so, but I think, as you say, it's right on the very, very edge. I think he gets away with it just because it gives... You know, it's been pretty heavy. It's been getting heavy up to there, and it gives a little bit of light relief. And I think the fact that just prior to the whole maybe he's bald, maybe he's a monk, etc., etc., I think it works more because the female officer who brings up the thing about the the music, which Park completely dismisses by saying, uh, yeah, that's great, go and make me a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, and then goes on with the, what about the bald thing? It just, it sums up how how lost he is, I think, as much as how stupid he is. You know, he's clutching his straws because they have nothing. But he, he, he believes the shit out of that, though, <laughs> because he even goes to the bathhouse, obviously. Like, I was just expecting the soundtrack to go like, totally. I think it works because it's not long. It's just, it's brief, it's a giggle, and it's gone. But it actually comes back thematically it sort of makes sense to have in there considering how the movie ends and what pops Bong Joon-ho takes the character of Su or Seo on because he gets that desperate uh, to by yeah, not that desperate but uh, desperate but in his own pretty way. close yeah. yeah I wanted to single out a little bit of a chase sequence that happens after they uh, catch the guy that masturbates to the underwear and wears red underwear as well I wouldn't be surprised obviously I haven't seen I, I did, there's a commentary on the Blu-ray but there's no English subtitles but I wouldn't be surprised if it has ever so slightly inspired by the chase sequence in the middle of seven they, they actually find the apartment of the killer in seven without knowing it and he shoots a gun at them and there's a big chase through different apartments and stuff like that they're not similar similar beats in like a copy or anything but I'm fi- I'm thinking there's a little bit of Fincher influence in the chase sequence that takes place in the village and that ends up at that uh, sort of building site so that's uh, all lit up at night and they they sort of spot him that way so that's new of course but uh, I'm, I'm just throwing that out there as a theory I think the chase sequence which is exemplary in 7 served as a little bit of inspiration here because it's it goes from quiet and then he does his first boom and the score kicks in like a motherfucker and it, it's on now I certainly wouldn't disagree with you you may well have hit the nail on the head. They are strikingly comparable. It's, it's just a theory here. I'm, I'm not saying it, it doesn't need to be true either because it's a terrific chase sequence uh, all around and uh, shows that Park obviously has got an eye because uh, he spots uh, he spots the guy with the red underwear as he bends forward at one point. So he's yeah. uh, sort of he's, he's the man uh, at that point. As a procedural, he adds new. It, it's all clear, right? It's made in a coherent fashion. There's never any lack of clarity. And he all he continues to add clues to for the detectives to uh, pursue. And all of that leads us into always new areas of interest, right? And some tomfoolery and bad detective skills coexist with this darkness, uh, definitely. Uh, and, and you wonder sometimes, because they talk of their lack of education and in years, uh, or, or their education in years versus the guy who educated himself in Seoul. And it seems like this small town need cops. They don't need a thorough police academy um, training necessarily. So there, there's that little sub-theme, I guess, that uh, Park, uh, Detective Park is not he's not gone through like five years of police academy work or anything. He's, he is a cop, yeah, but 
maybe not the greatest uh, greatest detective there is. Who knows? So, like you say, it's it's like Park himself says. You know, his type of cop learned by using their feet, whereas you know American cops. Well, we won't say what he says they do, but you know, it's 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 a similar thing. And I think they're sort of summing up that that's what those small towns cops. It's all they had. It's all they needed until something like this. And it's strange, though, how little it seems like, for instance, Song Kang-ho does. And this, if we're being fair, I mean, he paints a character. This is a character, but we don't know that much about him. But mm. within the framework of the film, we find out so much. And it's an interesting character and with all his quirks and desperation to to you know get get this done and pressure from above to get this done it it's fairly immersive I mean, you can say that with for all the actors they all fit the part they all fit this universe like a t you're not watching movie stars sort of with a with some facial hair and boom i'm acting look at me i'm totally yeah, acting. totally that's exciting but it's all the beats leading up to the end and like whenever you know the song starts on the radio at one point again and someone reaches their hand out it started raining and like he's an expert at those beats and uh, it, it really it really makes it exciting it really does it really does and i love the fact that it goes from lull to not boom not the way you expect it to be but there is an explosion it's just he briskly leads up to it so it's not just in your face but it's there it's just it's gripping and and it's also the more victims pile up, the more sad it becomes because it seems like there's an overwhelming force out there because they're they're not that stupid where anyone can just get past them and their detective skills or lack of detective skills. This is a killer that doesn't leave any traces to go by. And it's an underwhelming, uh, overwhelming sadness rather because of, again, we see these glimpses of uh, corpses even wandering an autopsy and... uh, because it's again it's a sad state he leaves them in especially they they never really depict uh, the underage girl that they said was part of the victims in real life but uh, you know it doesn't really matter it has an effect anyway uh, without being in our face and uh, all all super gory totally and you know in in terms of the the young girl um, who detective show puts a a plaster on in in the hospital or in the oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. skilled nursing room when they find her body. It's very, very brief and he removes the plaster. And, and for me, that was so poignant because even though you haven't really seen her face, you know exactly who she is. You've been introduced to her. And that, that sort of hit me quite hard. It is, it is very sad. I mean, even, and, and here's the big spoiler section, I guess, listeners, but, but I want to talk of it, uh, sort of conclude my note with this. A little bit, a few sentences I wrote here. The the reason it's sad is due to the way this investigation, it, it all destroys and frustrates the characters and rationality that was there becomes less tuned the, the more rage keeps building up in characters because it's all about human obsession. Meaning these characters, even the sole policeman who seems so tuned and his investigation skills are so tuned, even he, after all is said and done, is so fucking pounded to the ground because he can't get anywhere. So even the most level-headed of characters seemingly eventually fail and just wants to arrest anyone just to hear the answer. I did it. But 
that's not the end of a cycle if someone is still walking free, you know what I mean? Like, so that, that's why irrationality enters the picture here. And, uh, you know, if you talk about the ending scene, there's a flash forward to 2003. And Song Kang-ho visits the uh, the field that we see at the beginning of the movie, like the, the first um, crime scene. And there's some telling signs in Song Kang-ho's face during the end shot because a girl says that, oh, I saw, I saw a man here and he said he did something at one point here. And do you remember what he looked like? Well, he looked kind of plain. So Song Kang-ho realizes that the killer probably caught, passed through here. And the end shot on Song Kang-ho's face is so telling and I love it so much that he might not have been paying attention for a while because he's been selling juicers, <laughs> which is funny. <laughs> but he seems to be yeah. doing all right for himself, though. Uh, yeah. uh, but it's when he is in that field again, he hears that story from the girl that someone was here. It's brewing and coming back again to him. That facial image is so... It screams so much because you can just see all the pain and desperation just coming out of his eyes. And maybe it's only for those moments he spends in the field, but still, it's coming back that that what is haunting him, and who knows what happens to his colleague. Yeah, you know, maybe totally. this just destroyed him completely, and that's why it's super sad. Why it was I'm sure a lot of this psychologically was true for the real life policemen and women that was involved in the investigation that ultimately never resulted in an arrest. Um, because I'm sure in real life, after a while, as the victims keep piling up. You just want, for the sake of the pub- public, but for yourself to just, you just want closure. Please, please, just say, please, just close it for us. But that won't ha- that won't help if uh, that's not the truth. That's not the truth. So, uh, so very strong ending, very telling, and very clear for general audiences too. I'd say it's not an art film with a lot of symbolism and shit. So yeah, I think it's exemplary, and that's how I'd like to end my notes. So I'll 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 leave the floor to you. What what else do you want to share? The only other thing I really want to say, I've already talked about how the actor who plays the the half wit is my favorite character, but the third suspect, Park Hale, who they become utterly convinced is the killer, is memorable in his own right. One creepy, nasty, slimy young man. You know, what a performance. All the performances are great, but he really makes you feel that he's the killer, whether he is or not. Well, well, well there's a kind of a definite answer on that in, in the movie. Uh, because. Uh, well, yeah, fair point. Fair yeah. point. But, but yeah, it seems to fall that, that everyone, everybody would believe that's the type based on his cold demeanor and uh, and his sort of refusal to, to cooperate in this uh sincere manner he just sort of uh he adds fuel to that fire and seems to enjoy that very much just another exemplary piece of a, a wonderful film all righty and as for availability it's widely released all over the world on uh, dvd so um that's uh, it's been throughout the years but current recommendation for me would have to be the english subtitled korean uh, blu-ray its quality is pretty good it's a nice upgrade from standard definition as uh, illustrated in the uh, capsaholic link i'll uh, put in the show post they usually compare dvds to blu-rays and stuff like that so um when you when you blow up the dvd to to the same uh, resolution that um is in high def and you do the you do the comparison that way there there's definitely uh like uh background detail that just pops that di- couldn't didn't or couldn't on standard definition so yeah it's a it's a, it's a nice upgrade 
that is also a region a coded disc by the way according to information i couldn't spot anything on the actual disc i, I have a region free player so but uh, according to usasia it's a region a coded disc but, but i remember you telling me uh, if people seek out the uk dvd paul that's was that was one to avoid because it had edits made to it very much so there the release in the uk was by optimum releasing with you know big company and i obviously bought it here because it was easier there are sections that are hugely pixelated i think it's it's we're talking random scenes of people in cars and stuff not in terms of deliberate pixelation they're just hugely bad quality suddenly it jumps jumps to to where you can't actually make out what's going on as as would be the case in a pixelated scene and then bouncing back and there are there's a scene in the film where they find semen on one of the victims and then there's what happens to uh inspector joe the guy that the guy that kicks crap out of everybody um both those scenes completely missing so it jumps from just before he is looked at by medical professionals to when they're suddenly chasing Park Hale's character on a bus and you're just like, hey, you know, there's a good 20, 25 minutes just not there. It seems like, because we, we talked of international edits are sometimes prepared in Korea, you know, the good, the bad and the weird has an international edit, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, whether it's five or ten minutes missing or whatever. So, But th- this one sounds like it's pretty wrecked edited it just seems from my point of view to be a mistake that that they just haven't checked it over afterwards in my opinion stay away from the region 2 uk release if you can't get hold of the blu-ray or you don't have a blu-ray i highly recommend the us region one version by pam pictures it's just normal dvd but it does have a load of subtitled extras and that's the one thing about korean dvds that annoys me that there's their extra features are very rarely subtitled yeah well, well it's a local dvd still so you you understand if they don't want to put that effort very in. very very much very much i mean hong kong did it a little for a while occasionally but uh, no I, I never expected it to be a given given thing yeah totally but it's just nice that in re-watching this i was able to then go and see interviews with bong joon ho and all the main cast and hear a bit more about the theater play that it was based on it's just it's nice so that's my take stay away from the uk one either go to korea or the us excellent excellent well well, well we are done we won't have anything to announce uh, right now but we we always uh, we hit the we hit the think tank uh, paul mostly does really but i had i remember thinking of oh yeah i, I should really uh, did, should announce it because we should do it because i know you lit up uh, Last time I mentioned it, like, what about doing that movie? I heard that was good. A Man Called Superman. Oh! And there you go. Oh, it happened I've again. Com- <laughs> I've com- it's happened again. I'd completely forgotten you mentioned that. Yes. I've never seen it, but we talked of it on Podcast on Fire when it was just Podcast on Fire in terms of it coming out. And uh, the former co-host Mike Banner said he really liked it. So uh, it always stuck with me as a, a little special movie. It seemed like a little special movie. And uh, good enough motivation for me, Paul. As a little bit of a spoiler. It's a very, it's a very special movie. <laughs> it's a very special movie. Um, anyone who enjoyed Cast Away on the Moon in any respect will adore a man who was Superman. 
so sweet, so warm, so sweetly poignant as well. And of course, it's got Wang Jinmin in it, who is always wonderful as an actor. And it's got Jiana Jun, as she's known now, as the main female character, and I love her to death. I would adore reviewing a man who was Superman. That's why I've said my piece. And uh, that will be a new experience for me. But, but yeah, I uh, I just remember like, but but that's enough. Uh, that's enough motivation. Enough sort of a fuel and enthusiasm, even based on nothing for me, other than a man called Superman. Well, like, like essentially, it's about a guy who thinks he is Superman, right? But there's a lot more truth to it than that, right? There's a lot more to it than that. Yep. So it's not a superhero spoof or anything. So, Certainly uh, not. Although it is dedicated to the memory of Christopher Reeve, which is quite touching. Uh, so yep, we'll we'll uh, we'll set we we'll have set that, but uh, we'll try and find something something um, important from the Kofa archive, or regardless if it's from the Kofa archive, something important or even excellent from from yesteryear, whether it's sixties, seventies, or even eighties. So so uh, we'll uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, in the meantime, let's finish this one off the discussion of memories of murder, and this has been what's Korean cinema. I guess this. This is recommended Korean cinema like you read about. (laughs) And uh, we are located on podcastonfire.com. You can find this show and all our other shows and bonus episodes on that very site. Email us if uh, you have any questions or feedback. Uh, Like if you have seen A Man Called Superman or have any other suggestions, uh, email us podcastonfire at googlemail.com. And hit us up on Facebook as well. You can find uh, the link to our social media through the handy buttons at the top of our website. So so click the Facebook button, click the Twitter button. If you click the iTunes button, you'll find a link to our uh, feed. So you can subscribe to us if you like and uh, leave a rating and even a comment. And you also find a button leading to Stitcher Radio and their web presence uh, where you can search our shows and stream us. But you can also do that on the applications available on the Apple App Store and Google Play. And I write about uh, mainly Hong Kong and Taiwanese movies over at SoGoodReviews.com. I video a review at SlazyKVideo.com and I tweet at, at SoGoodReviews. And Paul, for reference sake, throw out your plug again to your website and your social media endeavors. I am Paul. I run HangleCelluloid.com. You can find me on Facebook at Facebook.com slash HangleCelluloid. I'm on Twitter at, at HangleCelluloid. Um, pop over to the site, have a read, see what you think. Now let's go out and uh, leap kick people like they did in this movie and see how it works in real life. <laughs> uh, I, I, I would, but that pain in my back just won't let me do it. <laughs> I, I, I forgot to mention, I love that stunt by Song Kang-ho when he leaped kick uh, the guy like uh, like the hill, like 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 the scene set in the hill on the hill, and he leaps, he leaps kicking him and lands on his bottom essentially. But it's still a stunt, man. And and what a stunt! It just works. it's a pretty pretty long leap you know granted yeah. it's downhill but he i'd see it seems like you you can't sort of prepare you just have well you have to prepare for impact <laughs> well yeah totally but you know he just no fear he just launches and it, it's a thing with the guys in the movies like leap kicking people interrogate and shit like the guy they kick and the the whole interrogation room goes dark because he kicks out the light bulb and shit yeah, like that so it's not like they're using their fist or push them a little bit. No, just leap, kung fu, leap, kick them right away. So maybe that says something about uh, that's the Koreans, Korean police technique in that, at that time. I don't know, but it just stuck out as so peculiar. Like they did it twice. Totally. <laughs> and totally. it's the most default natural thing ever for, for a character to do, apparently. So there it is. Uh, but uh, anyway, I've been Kennedy and uh, with me was Paul Quinn of Hangul Celluloid. So say sayonara, buddy. 
See you later, chaps. How do you say goodbye in Korean? Annyeonghaseyo, same as hello. There you go. So, annyeonghaseyo, everyone.